Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining another week's podcast from Wind entitled ESG123. This is Max Kiefer, and I am the host of the podcast, also the head of sustainability for Wind. Wind is a refresher focused on air quality monitoring and purification technology. So this week, very excited to have Dan Ackerstein join us. Dan and I have known each other for maybe 10 or 15 years or so now. So uh, Dan, we had had uh, Kina David in last week. Uh, she from Boston. I, I, we, we recorded the podcast pre-Warriors celebration. So I uh, did want to just remind you that the Warriors did end up winning uh, the championship. Maybe I shouldn't start with that <laughs> as a lead-in, but it, it, if you caught the game. Up. It's, it's funny you bring that up, Max. I, I, I don't recall. I remember seeing the Celtics in the finals. I remember my very young team outperforming all expectations. Uh, I remember Time Lord uh, you know, limping his way through a, a gallant playoff performance, but I can't really, I'm just hazy on the way it shook down in the end. <laughs> That's fine. No worries. Uh, as Kina said, we'll uh, revisit it next year. So uh, the, the other thing I wanted to, which is a nice segue, I guess, in terms of the basketball is uh, your allegiance to the East Coast and then also Duke uh, when you're starting out kind of your uh, early days moving into your career and sustainability. So before we really get into the, the healthy buildings uh, days and how we worked on a number of our projects together, uh, I think it would be good for our audience to hear a little bit more about you, um, a little bit more about your background. So uh, I know a little bit from the LinkedIn and our working on projects, but can you paint a little bit more of a picture about the East Coast growing up, Boston, Duke, and then how that really carried over to uh, West Coast and Santa Cruz work? Sure. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, I grew up very much an East Coast guy. Um, and uh, I was born in Boston. Uh, my parents met in Boston. Uh, my dad grew up in Boston. Uh, we lived there for three or four years before uh, ultimately my, my parents moved to the West Coast of Florida. Um, and for those of you who don't know, the East Coast of Florida is Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Daytona. The West Coast is the South. Um, and uh, I did have the good fortune to grow up on a couple of barrier islands on the West Coast. Um, and much to my parents' confusion, that's where I got kind of turned on to um, nature and the environment and being in the environment and nature as, a, as an active participant. Um, and uh, it was, but the whole time I grew up in Florida, it was with the, the awareness that you don't go to college in Florida, you go to college in Boston. That's what was expected of me. Um, and that is certainly what I intended to do. So yeah, I ended up back in Boston for college. Uh, incredible experience, uh, a profound, life-changing, uh, in every way experience. I look back at it, upon it as, as one of the best decisions I ever made, if not the very best. Um, my wife is comfortable with that, uh, with that description. Um, and uh, it opened my eyes to a whole world. Um, uh, in every sense, but particularly in terms of uh, working for the environment and uh, on sustainability. Um, in my final year in college, I did a, uh, a senior seminar paper that looked at the, it was a life cycle analysis of disposable um, versus reusable diapers. And that for me was what set me on the path I'm on today, thinking uh, really carefully about sustainability um, and ways to make sustainability more compelling and, uh, and, and attractive to, to people from consumers to decision makers to whoever else. 
Well said. Yeah, and I know we got at least some in the Boston, the good old Harvard cognitive ability study. Uh, I did my undergrad, now master's at Colorado. We call it the Harvard of the West or the MIT of the West. But now they're very focused on particulate matter and air quality work and a lot of research that's coming out of there. So maybe that is a, a segue now that we keep heading west to California. Uh, we obviously connected when I was at Healthy Buildings. Uh, shout out to Dan. He was very integral in the first days of LEED EB, which just stands for LEED for existing buildings. And that's when they were putting together their first reference guide. So uh, maybe I, not to go too macro on this question, Dan, but sustainability has evolved uh, immensely since the 2009 or 2010 days when we first connected. Uh, even my old company, Healthy Buildings, that's now UL, has their own sustainability certification. Uh, we at Wind have even kind of been looking into a sustainability certification just geared towards indoor air quality or indoor environmental quality. So could you kind of give our listeners somewhat of a background on sustainability certifications, uh, how they've involved, uh, involvement with BIT, and then how you see it maybe moving forward? Sure. Yeah, that's that's a lot. That's like seven questions worth of gathering <laughs> for me. I'm going to I'm going to do it. Um I mean, first of all, you know this, the sustainability field has, is unrecognizable from what it was when you and I, you know, walked in the door. Um, I was talking with a, a longtime colleague today and just sort of making the observation that we could actually get jobs now. Like there are jobs that we could send resumes to and they'd probably interview us because this is a real field. When I started out, when I finished graduate school, um, I was sure that like that, well, I was sure I was going to get the, the, the job as the sustainability director at Power Bar because that was just all of my dreams coming true. I could exercise and work on sustainability. Uh, of course, Power Bar never responded to my furious email barrage, um, nor did any of the other companies that I, I pursued. There, there just wasn't interest in the idea of a sustainability director for the vast majority of companies. Uh, and that's pivoted completely. Um, it, it's so that's incredible. The certifications landscape has changed similarly. You know, when when I started thinking about certifications, um, when I began my work um, for Mike Arney at Leonardo Academy, um, there were you know this was an, a new idea, and Lead and the Marine Stewardship Council um, were really blazing a trail around certifications. Marine Stewardship Council, of course, focused on sustainable seafood. Um, and that, you know, the, the power of certifications um, is remarkable. The complexities and the dangers around certifications, um, the opportunities for greenwashing, all of those things, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's fraught with challenge and complexity. But there are so many programs now. There, there are so many programs that I I have a client who's asked me to help them organize and understand all of the sustainability certification programs out there so that they can make decisions about which ones to pursue in their offices globally. So the certifications world, the sustainability world, these are just, we're, in, we're on a new planet and uh, it seems like a great place to be. Well said. Yeah, and I'm, I'm recalling some of our early days, uh, nothing against lead for existing buildings. I think the early days we were getting pulled into a lot of office projects, uh, especially the ownerships and landlords of large office buildings. So um, my next question here is about different verticals that you see sustainability evolving into. 
Uh, as a frame of reference, we're getting pulled into senior living, a lot more on the residential side, Airbnbs, uh, and a lot more schools. Uh, schools, partly uh, I brought up in a previous podcast, uh, at least I never saw them with the same amount of funding that they do now. Uh, it's still kind of a challenge to navigate that path to get the funding, especially and put it towards air quality upgrades. But um, when we worked at, at Healthy Buildings, it reminded me of some of the UC projects uh, down in San Diego you were working with. But what are some of the main school projects or education ones that you uh, recall fondly uh, working with and your main takeaways? And then how do you see that whole school and education vertical, both higher ed and the K through 12 uh, moving forward in the future? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I have a, a, a couple of couple of thoughts about that. Um, the first is that, well, A, I'm a huge fan of lead, lead for existing buildings. Um, I, it, 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 um, it was the undertaking that, uh, shaped my entire career. And, uh, I think that that rating system has, um, been an incredibly powerful tool, um, for the, the field of sustainability and, and to a degree created the field of sustainability and operations and maintenance. Um, I have nothing but good things to say about it. Um, what I, what I want to say about, about sort of the verticals is that I think that as we move forward, it's, it's less important the, the market segments, the different building types, than it is the market segments from the standpoint of resources and, and functionally the, the economic class of a given building. We've done a really good job of making sustainability tangible and measurable and um, pursuable, achievable, all of those things for buildings that have the resources, um, for buildings that that are owned or operated by by profitable firms, and for folks that are, you know, frankly, for a couple of white guys like us who are, you know, professionals in our fields, and we're going to sit at a desk all day. Sustainability is working out great for us. Um, the challenge is in getting sustainability and particularly sustainable operations to penetrate to buildings that are under resourced. Um, both in terms of in terms of their operating funds and the personnel who are operating them, um, that to me is why the the bit building program is is so important. Um, you know this, but uh, bit is a program that was created by uh, by Jenny Carney, um, who's a, a personal hero, um, and uh, I think that the intention of bit is to reach the buildings and people that are not getting reached by sustainability as it exists, um, not, getting, not getting reached by the way that sustainability certifications have come to pass, which is they're serving the top 20%, 10% of the marketplace. Lead EB, mostly targeted at the top 25% of buildings. That's fantastic. Is, it, is that by design? They're pulling the market along? Sure. But, they, um, but there's a lot of buildings that are, that are getting left behind. I think BIT is a really interesting way of, uh, of addressing that and, and trying to reach those folks. True. Uh, well said. Uh, that reminds me, we do have a first Friday prop tech, clean tech get together in Marin. Don't take it personally that I haven't invited you. I, this was a refresher reminder. <laughs> but So a lot of the folks there are in and around the technology space, uh, some from air quality technology, obviously winds more in the sensor space. Uh, water technology I see evolving, and then just energy technology in general. Um, Simon Turner, who is the previous CEO of Healthy Buildings, 
used to talk about how archaic it was just bringing in these handheld remote or these monitoring devices when you're walking the building. So I, I believe one of the where your segue was there is that not only did these uh, verticals not have funding and attention, uh, but now because there are more companies in the prop tech, clean tech space, there's been more funding that have allowed them to kind of have a, a bigger reach and more resources to go after some of these different verticals. So uh, I know I just threw three different questions and it's better than my seven questions earlier in the podcast, but how, how do you, your, what's your main take on how technology has really changed the sustainability world? Uh, especially around some of those different subsectors of the sustainability certifications. So, I am. Uh, it's interesting. I'm a techno optimist, but uh, also a, a techno cynic. Um, I I think that technology holds great potential and has changed lives in in uh, in profound ways. Uh, and I don't think that it has changed. The sustainability world dramatically yet. Um, I think that we as a society are making some fantastic progress um, on carbon emissions. I think that that is is largely a technology victory. But I think the world of um, of building operations, I think the world of of buildings in general, um, there's a lot of cool stuff happening with materials. There's a lot of cool stuff happening with technology, and I don't know that it moves the ball nearly enough. Um, we're running out of time. And um, I think that sustainability has to change because um, laws change, because markets change, um, because people recognize the urgency of our predicament. Um, and, you know, I, I am counting on technology to do a whole hell of a lot to, to move the ball, but it is not going to, it's not going to get us as far as we need to go. Um, yeah, I, I, the economics of sustainability are still wrong. The, 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 um, the, the understanding of, of, of sort of the resources that we have and do not have at our disposal um, are still wrong. I talk a lot with colleagues about, you know, I shouldn't have a job. I should, there shouldn't be a sustainability consultant. If the economics, if water were priced right, if energy were priced right, my job doesn't exist. And I'm just, you know, I'm a park ranger. So I look, I look forward to that day, frankly. <laughs> I love it. I might join you. Um, you, you raised a very good point uh, about time too. And, and as good as it sounds about technology, still waiting for a lot of these buildings to catch up and to implement it doesn't happen overnight. So that is uh, transitioning into what people can do right now, uh, both on an individual levels and individuals looking to get into sustainability. So um, not to kind of give it away, if I'm reading my notes correctly, we had talked about sustainable seafood, obviously agriculture and what people even consume is a nice segue. But what is, uh, what is something that people can do right now in addition to that? And that's maybe a transition into some of the folks that are listening now looking to get into sustainability in general, maybe it's not just the commercial real estate market and prop tech and clean tech. Uh, what would be your recommendations for them? Yeah, I have here again. I feel like this is every time you ask me a question, I tell you about the the internal conflict that I'm <laughs> enduring around. Oh, good. Issue. Yeah, yeah. No, this is a, this is a good window into my psyche of constant <laughs> second guessing. Um, so you asked about what people can do, and this is. 
an area that I have only recently um, come to really second guess myself. Uh, my career has been all about the idea that regulation legislation would would only take us so far so fast, and that consumers and companies would see competitive advantage. And that is, companies would see a competitive advantage in reaching consumers who cared about sustainability. Um, that's literally what I did my, my master's thesis on. That has been a principle that has driven, driven my work all along. Right now, the clients I work for, it's because I believe that by, by leading in sustainability, they will improve their market share, their employee retention, their uh, productivity, all of those things. On the other hand, it is just uh, clear as day that it's not the fault of the consumer. It's not the fault of the market that carbon emissions are where they are. Um, that's the fault of political systems. Um, and I think it's really disingenuous to, for us all to pretend that our individual action or our individual ethical compass um, taken even collectively is going to result in political change. I think and we've proven that it won't. Um, and I don't want to let the political system off the hook. You know? Well said. I mean, yeah, the Republican Party is desperately trying to fail the climate change test. There is, there is, there is no aspect of the Republican Party and conservative politics right now that allows for the reality of climate change, the urgency of climate change. That, that is crippling the system and it's crippling our ability to act on this issue effectively. Um, so the things that each person can do, all the things, stop eating meat, you know, uh, like PV on your roof, buy an electric car, um, ride your damn bike, all of those things. They're great. Those are all things that I do. And I don't pretend, I don't tell my kids that if they recycle, they're saving the environment. They're not, you know, what they need to do is, you know, is, is, is help break apart the political system that is allowing their future to be sacrificed. My future to be sacrificed for that matter. So yeah, that's, that's my internal conflict and, uh, and mild self-loathing around, um, around individual action in terms of careers, man, like, the universe is 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 incredible right now. Like like we were talking about earlier, the the career options are are amazing. Um, every industry is is beginning to understand how much work they have to do on sustainability. Um, the the bill that the Democratic uh, administration just passed is um, is going to change, move things even further. It's going to shift markets. It's going to create work opportunities. What I tell every kid that I talk to about work in sustainability is find something in it that gets you really stoked. Find some issue. doesn't matter if there's a career in it. doesn't matter if you can see a career path in it. Find an issue that you get stoked about, dig into it, and then figure out what you want your career to be. And it doesn't have to be that thing. Sustainable seafood. I got really into sustainable seafood when I was a grad student. Like, fairly tangential to what I was doing, but I met Carl Safina at a conference. It's like, this is my guy. Here we go. Um, and I just read as much as I could and talked about it as much as I could. I'm not, I don't do anything related to sustainable seafood. Like it's has no bearing on my career at all. 
but I learned how to go deep on an issue and how to think about an issue um, from various perspectives, namely the perspectives of fishermen, namely the perspectives of um, of international markets, and namely the perspective of nations that don't have a navy or any way to regulate fishing activity in their inshore waters. Somalia, the you know the whole Somalian pirates thing. That's a story that starts with a fishery and the failure of the um, the failure of the world to regulate to protect an inshore fishery from um, massive corporate um, fishing practices. So go deep in something and take that depth, take that story to your conversations about the work that you want to do ultimately, because there's nothing more interesting than hearing someone talk about what they're passionate about. Well, I'll pay Dan another compliment here. And I think I've paid you the compliment before, but uh, I was one of those kids uh, in my early, and we won't age you too much, uh, Dan, but uh, when I started at Healthy Buildings, I would know, I knew I was very excited about it. I knew I was very passionate about it, uh, but you really had me, had me thinking not only if I could do something, but if I should do something. And if I was making some of those moves or those services, if it truly was sustainable. So in, in retrospect, we, prior to this call, we were talking even about Pearl Jam and Pearl Jam paid the compliment to Nirvana that Nirvana, every time they made a move or an action, you know, they knew that Nirvana and Kurt would be a little bit on them and why they were doing it. So um, that's a compliment to Dan that uh, one of the reasons I've had success in sustainability is because I have been engaged and passionate about it and made did it for the right reasons as opposed to getting pulled into, dare I say, just for the money or a greenwashing standpoint. So in closing, one of the reasons I wanted to pick Dan's brain here was not just for the industry and people starting it, uh, but companies in general. Uh, I know that Acristine Sustainability is very philanthropic on a whole. Um, or obviously, with Santa Cruz, there's a tie to Surf Router Foundation. I was just doing a little bit more research on waves for water. So uh, we had talked about in the last half a dozen podcasts a number of different avenues that companies can take whether it's the just label through ILFI or a B corporation or 1% for the planet. But if a company is, dare I say, even in the early stages or even more mature as an organization, would they turn to an Acristine Sustainability do an overall company assessment? And or what are some of those third-party company certifications that they might want to look into and research? Well, they, they definitely shouldn't turn to me. They definitely okay. shouldn't turn to Acrosine Sustainability. Okay. Um, I don't know anything how to, about how to run a successful business. Um, and it's miraculous that um, that like people still pay me for my time at all. Not to mention that I have employees who trust me to keep them, you know, in their homes. It's, it's genuinely ridiculous. Uh, so, you know, what I, what I would say about, what I would say to those companies is, um, first and for foremost, to check your ethical compass, you know, um, and really, like, really ask yourself why you're in business, really ask yourself what it is you intend to accomplish um, and, and what gets you up in the morning um, and ask that question of your employees. Um, I believe that businesses exist, entities exist, um, to further the the values of the people who work for them, and so when I am talking to someone, when I when I'm hiring, you know, I want to I want I want to know from that per, those those people what it is that really compels them, why they why they do this work instead of making money or instead of 
you know, uh, being in, you know, in a you know, fancy corporate, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's no perks. This, this is not a job that you take to get rich. This is not a job that you take like to be popular at parties. This is like, there's almost no real benefits to sustainability consulting other than the fact that you might someday feel like you made a contribution to the maintenance of like the biological function of this planet. And like, if that's not enough, then there's so many other businesses to be in. Sell real estate, you know, flip cars, whatever it is. I I guess you flip real estate and sell cars. I don't know. I don't know how to sell things. (laughs) My point is um, the only reason to do this work is because you'll be ecstatic if you can make a tiny contribution. And if you are, and you will, then that's awesome. And, and do it for that reason. You know, in terms of philanthropy, I feel so incredibly fortunate to do the work that I do to have the opportunities that I have. I am absolutely a product of great privilege in, in so many ways, um, economic, racial, uh, ethnic, so much privilege. Um, it's really important to me to do something to repay the incredible good fortune that I was born into and was handed to me um, as a white man in the United States. Uh, and so we, we do take our philanthropy really seriously as a company. Um, every year at the end of the year, all of my employees um, weigh in on what they want to make donations to. Um, they tell me exactly who they want to support and who they don't want to support. And the company writes checks. Um, I don't second guess. I don't ask questions. If somebody wants to send all of their money to, uh, you know, to the uh, Donald Trump Jr. Legal Defense Fund. Okay, I'm going to write that check. I'm going to bite my tongue and uh, and write it. But I want to honor my employees, um, my employees priorities and their values uh, in everything that we do and uh, and 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 honor my own. The, The organization I'm most proud of supporting is one um, that was started by um, old, old friend, um, an old, old friend's wife. And he, um, he turned me on to it. Uh, it's called African women rising and, uh, they work with women in, um, women who've been displaced by, uh, conflict in Uganda and they are creating, um, sustainable development models. Uh, for these women working in refugee camps, doing permaculture. It's incredible. So when I'm having a shitty day at work, that, you know, that, that gets it done. That gets, that gets my head back on straight and reminds me um, that there's, there's, there's bigger reasons for me to do my thing. Um, And, uh, and I'm just really honored and proud that, um, that I can be even a tiny little part of, of what, of the work that they're doing. Very cool. I love it. Uh, that's a, a closer that you and the team did get the invite for the first Fridays in Marin. Now that I reminded, it goes out to your entire team because you nailed the podcast with such good information. And I think even in Marin, they have Patagonia provisions in Sausalito. So for people looking into the sustainable seafood, uh, give that a shot or give that a chance. That's my my old stomping grounds was Patagonia. They transitioned now to the, the food side of things. But uh, with that, we come to a close. Dan, I really wait, appreciate Wait, We can't oh. close. We can't be done. We can't be done. And we haven't talked about beavers. <laughs> Closing notes. Closing thoughts with Dan Ackerstein. Closing thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the to the Dan Ackerstein podcast. 
Today, Nobody asked I, the host questions. What about me? I, I really Enough don't, about me. Interested. What do you think about me? I'm not interested. I want to talk about beavers. <laughs> I have Next things time. to say. I have things <laughs> to say. I'm so glad you asked, Max. I'm so glad you asked about my work with beavers. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed because I didn't know you were aware um, of my, my beaver-related work. And okay. so, sure. I mean, I guess. I guess I'll, I'd be willing to talk about it. Um, look. The most interesting thing I'm working on right now is beavers. Um, water replenishment um, geniuses. Uh, the, the hydrology of North America was shaped by a number of keystone species, among them the bison and the prairie dog, none more so than the beaver. Uh, the, the North American beaver that is Castor canadensis, as opposed to the Eurasian beaver. Uh, there are no beavers left in the American West. And when I say no, I don't mean there are none. I mean that as a fraction of the beaver population that created the hydrology of the American West, um, beavers are almost non-existent on the landscape. Um, beavers, in fact, are incredible at changing the way that water moves across the land. Beavers slow water, they cool water, they warm water. They store carbon, they create habitat, they stop wildfires, um, they increase the seed stock and wildlife refugia from wildfires. Beavers are incredible. And there is an opportunity for the Western states to make use of beavers as a, uh, a, a, a nature-based um, conservation opportunity uh, at scale that has potential to change, change the hydrology of the American West, uh, change the direction, let's say, of the, uh, the hydrology of the American West. Wow. I know you're a water guy. I'm a water guy. Um, beavers are where it's at. I should have picked up on it. Is that a beaver painting or drawing on the, on the background? I don't Technically, know if that was for you. That is, that's, that's a common mistake. In fact, that is a sea otter. Okay. Sea otter. Is, yeah, should... you can tell the little urchin there. It's mine on its back. It's got a little urchin. So that's the giveaway. Sea otter versus beaver. Also, it has a very small tail. Otters uh, do have, I mean, beavers do have large and prominent tails. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. Well, hey, no, uh, Dan, that was uh, perfect. Thank you. And a phenomenal closer. And I didn't add that to my script here. That's what we say is we don't have it too scripted. So I didn't get to my nice, dream team either. Impromptu closer. Well, I do have to pay you a compliment. Um, but a few folks from the Healthy Buildings days, uh, as well as San Diego State, you, you've not only trained a number of individuals. Uh, I wanted to talk about San Diego State. Growing. So, yeah, maybe, uh, please, if you could add to that, uh, some of the, the, Drew Shula refers to him as the dream team that he's worked with in the past, either on his own company or tangentially, if you could maybe hit or reference some of the individuals that you think are really moving the, uh, the needle and changing the industry as much, if not more than beavers. Well, yeah, I mean, okay. I, uh, it was easy to answer just, you know, beavers, duh. Um, so yeah, uh, I've been thinking about this one actually, um, because I heard, I heard your conversation with Drew and it, and it got me thinking about, about those, those types of people in my life, um, or outside my life. Um, and you know, I, I've been, I've been most profoundly influenced by the people that I shared a desk with and like banged away at it, you know, on a daily basis, like the people, the people who, 
who sat next to me at things. And um, we argued about minutia um, rather than the big, you know, the big sort of idea shapers. I mean, I say that Paul Hawken is the, is the reason I'm in this field. Um, the ecology of commerce was the book that, uh, that gave me a sense of clarity and purpose. Um, so, you know, start, start with, uh, with pH, but, um, like when I think about my dream team, it's, it's, uh, it's Jenny Carney from WSP. True. She's the single most important person I've ever worked with. Yeah. Um, she's my you know, she's the, the person I test my ideas against and, and the quality of my work against. And, uh, she is, um, a, a, a quite literally, um, a, a guidepost for me in terms of the way I, the way I work in this field and the way I work in general. Um, and I'm, I'm very much in her debt. Um, uh, David Bennett, formerly of Google, someone who's really, in fact, you know, there's so many people at Google who've been really influential and important to me. Um, Lauren Riggs is another, Eddie Corwin, um, Mary Davidge. These are, these are people that, but you know, these are all people who I like explain to me how to use spreadsheets. Like it's, it's, it's that, um, I had a mentor. I still have a mentor, um, in the very early days of my professional career, uh, named Jim Cowart. Um, and Jim was actually really important to me in terms of, um, helping me understand that there were different ways to go to work. And different ways to be at work, and different ways to, um, you know, to to be a, a business. Um, and uh, I'm I'm still learning from Jim about that. Uh, and then the only the only other person I would mention in that regard is my sister in law, um, because she's she's actually a she's a corporate coach, and she works with tech fancy people all over the place. Um, and in the first first maybe six months that I had this business and I was, um, really stumbling. Uh, she gave me some advice about transparency and, um, and sort of being honest with your clients about who you are and what you can and can't do and what you're good at and what you're not good at. Um, that I have, I've never stopped hearing that voice in my head and it has, it has, uh, it's, it's made, it's made this business what it is. Um, I can, I can always just tell people like, I'm not good at that. You shouldn't hire me to do that. Um, and if you're looking for, if you're looking for a company that does X, Y, and Z or a company that feels like A, B, and C, I I'm not that company, you know, good, good, good on you. So I'm, I'm grateful to her for that. Makes sense. Well, I will need you to put on your sales hat here and get Jenny and, uh, Bennett to, uh, uh, do our upcoming podcast. So, uh, oh, yeah. they didn't reply to my, maybe I've got a pleasantly persistent follow up with some calls and emails there, but well, those are two rock stars in the industry. So yeah, hopefully a yeah. future recording, I'll leave it at that. You know, you know, Jenny's going to be jealous once she hears me on the pod. <laughs> so then now she's going to have to come on and say what's up because that's, that's not going to sit well with her. Bennett, he might still ghost you. That guy's, that guy's a tough nut to crack. That's right. We'll stay on top of it. So, um, okay. Well, Dan, no, I really appreciate it. I think that's all the closers I had. And thank you for adding those two. Um, Very excited. As I said earlier in the podcast, Dan has really shaped uh, my outlook on sustainability, my success at healthy buildings, getting into some of these different projects. uh, And the reason I've been in it for 15 years is still that get out of bed mentality of just 
you know, why are we doing this and, and wanting to make a difference. So uh, with that, we'll come to a close. Um, really appreciate it, Dan, listening uh, for our listeners tuning in this week and, and do encourage you to tune in uh, upcoming weeks as well. Hey, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate those kind words. My pleasure. Talk soon, Dan. <laughs>